Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. anybody's question but yours you're an idiot and really a disloyal person hello everyone welcome to this edition of the disloyal idiots podcast here on the fans for sports network it's a mega edition today myself steve and andy we're joined by mike ostrowski who was at dino baber's opening press conference i got the first edition of the death chart and started hyperventilating before all of us did how are you all doing? I mean, I was preemptively hyperventilating, so I don't know. <laughs> and it didn't help after it came out. That would I'm, indeed be the case. <laughs> I'm concerned, but not exactly for the reasons I thought I was going to be concerned. I'm just having a great time here. Honestly, you know, whatever. It's chaos <laughs> season. The first, first like, Two well, the first two games don't really matter. Uh, but we'll see. There's like I, I think we should just jump into it with uh the fact that well no, he says uh, the first I, two I games like matter the way... until we end up he says the first two games don't matter until we end up in a dogfight against Western Michigan or something stupid. Just, you know what? Just win them. What, what, just, what was that, just win. That one that one game at Western Michigan when it was like 42-27, it's like how did they score 27? All I have to say is Middle Tennessee State. That, well, that was Scott Schaefer's revenge. That's I mean, I don't I mean it's we're not playing Kent, we're not playing Kent State and Sean Lewis is over oh, well, Sean Lewis is not at Kent State anymore. But like we're not, you know, that yeah, thing. No. It's it's definitely a different different level, but like the 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 old athlete in me is like, don't overlook anyone, don't overlook anyone. <laughs> So uh, is it bad that it's only my second year here and I'm actually, I'm getting most of these references? No, no, you're fitting right in. One of us. It, one of us. One of us. One <laughs> of us. Right, let's pull the Band-Aid off. If you're watching the stream on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, first of all, welcome. Thank you for joining us. If you're listening on your podcast, podcast platform of choice, I'm going to pull up the depth chart right now that Syracuse just released today. And this is the official two deep that Syracuse is rolling into Colgate with on week one. And there are interesting things to talk about as usual. We'll start from top to bottom. The most shocking thing is Garrett Schrader is starting at quarterback. Only, <laughs> only if it's shocking because he's healthy. That is also a thing that we should bring up. Mike, we're there. Um, at uh, Dino Babers' press conference, and he said that Garrett Trader is 100% healthy, so no need to limit himself in terms of a pitch count anymore. Yep, no snap counts. The follow-up was, would he be able to play the whole game? Now, if that happens, there's a big issue for another reason. 
but uh, yeah, so if Schrader is at or close to 100%, according to Dino, we'll see. I hope that's true. I hope he does not come out very cold, but he's only had a couple weeks since he started throwing again. It was definitely the concerning thing. I think Andy mentioned this a couple of weeks ago where Trader needed to quote unquote relearn how to throw still while they were still in fall ball. So that at least we're going to hopefully see him on the field and he'll be throwing, which would be fingers crossed. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully that's yeah. good. <laughs> um, go, going down also the uh, death chart, the Quint Allen after the saga that was this summer is slotted into the number one spot. How much he actually plays still remains to be seen, and Juwan Price, as we expected, will be backing him up. How much is he going to play in that Colgate game? Uh, uh, well, depends on how quickly they go to the threes. Yeah. <laughs> we, we've talked about this before, but especially it flared up during the Wagner game where the, Dino has a rough tendency of leaving his starters out there for too long. Mm-hmm. Mike kind of alluded to that as well, where mm-hmm. I don't think Dino took the starters out until like one minute left in the third quarter. Which is not he didn't take the starters out until Sean Tucker was on the ground for the third time in five games. So that too. I, I also think I also think though that like in this situation it's a little bit different. Um like something that Christian mentioned during the pod on Sunday night that I think is worth taking into account. Dino doesn't like to shuffle the starters around a whole lot. And a lot of these games that were that we're kind of mentioning have been deeper into the have been deeper into the season, uh, but also the depth on those teams was not very good. Uh, and I think something that we kind of t- that we talked about yesterday's show, the depth on this team isn't necessarily amazing, but the depth is experienced. Like. I don't necessarily want to see a full switch of the offensive line, which we're going to get to in a minute here, but the backups of the offensive line have more starting experience uh, than any offensive line that we've had in the last 10 years. Same thing with most of these other position groups. Like uh, I, I think it's a little bit different than what we've seen in past years where Dino is going to, you know, true freshmen or or sophomores with no playing experience. There's a bunch of bodies on this roster that went from playing in some capacity that are now not playing. And I feel like from at least I'm maybe being overly optimistic, but from like a roster management perspective, this is the game that you get those kids happy by when they are like, hey, why am I not playing against North Carolina? You go, well, we gave you the entire second half versus Colgate versus Western Michigan. Um, we gave you the rep, we gave you a certain number of snaps. Are those snaps created equal? Absolutely not. But, uh, this, this roster is so loaded with transfer talent that pushed other guys who had played further down the depth chart, which is a new, a very new thing for Dino to do because what, this is probably year two of Dino actually leveraging the transfer portal the way that it's supposed to be leveraged. And we see that a lot in the um, offensive line, which is you know a rare place for it to be flushed out, and we'll definitely get to that again in due time because we're going to spend a lot of time on the offensive line. The, the There are only a couple areas where you see really that quote-unquote inexperience that Andy is talking about, and that's Thunder Dan Valari at the oar at tight end and Donovan Brown as the starting slot receiver or secondary slot receiver, because you're going to assume Aranda Gatson is the starting slot receiver. And, but Donovan Brown showing up and taking the starting Y job. Those, I, I mean, let's let's get right into it with Donovan Brown. I don't think a lot of people expected us to see him on this depth chart, especially with the guys like Demarcus Adams and Amari Hatcher, who are listed below him, at least in the number twos on the outside roles. But those guys also felt like last year showed a bit more than Brown did. And to see him step up to take this 
Y spot. It's very, very interesting. And obviously, probably just a placeholder until Trevor Pena comes back from injury. I, I wonder if the average fan even knows or remembers who Donovan Brown is and what he was coming in as a recruit. And that it was just pure speed and talent and pure speed that we were getting with him. Because, I mean, especially with Pena being the one that went down, that seems like it's a, a nice little fit. And Andy muted himself again. Yeah. That's what I do. Uh, no, I'm looking <laughs> at Donovan Brown's uh, uh, Syracuse um you know, bio and it's talking about all these things that he did. Like he ran track, he played basketball. He was a team captain. Um, he was, I hate using the term, but like 24 seven composite, like he's a high three star. He's a fringe four star guy. Um, just, uh, but came in as a wide out athlete type and he's not your typical slot. He's more of like an NFL slot where he's coming in at six, three, one eighty. Uh, very different body type than Pena. And I do think that one of the things that we talked about with Aronde Gatson is that um, they seem Jason Beck seems to want to get big lanky dudes to create size disadvantages close to the offensive or close to the line of scrimmage. Uh, use your body to make space, use your quick moves to create more space have the quarterback hit the guy in the space and then yak it up. Um, and Donovan Brown fits that really well. I, I Another Dinoism is that we typically don't see the offensive playbook at 100% until the first big game of the year. And I'm wondering if we see anything super inventive with him in there. Uh, mostly because I think you use him in a very different way than you use Pena. And that to me is very interesting uh, against a Colgate. We probably don't see like what that does against actual, you know, D one power five size guys. But like, I can imagine in a game, say Clemson, Florida state, where you've got these big athletic defensive ends and Schrader just needs to get the ball out quickly to a big body in space. who can at least create a little bit of physical separation. Donovan Brown and Donovan Brown provides a nice counter to a Ronde Gatson where you can put two big guys close to the line of scrimmage in the slot instead of, you know, one traditional slot guy and Aranda Gatson, who will probably be doubled from here until week 12. And if he's not, then we're doing really good by week 12. <laughs> if he's not, if he's not getting doubled by week 12, it's either because we're playing really bad defenses. Uh, the ACC defenses are just going to be worse than we thought, or uh, it's a case of, oh, wow, one of these other guys, Damian Alford has suddenly become what we've been wanting Damian Alford to become for three and a half years. Uh, <laughs> how long has he been? On, also, this is the game where I get to play. How long has Damian Alford be, been on campus? Because I want to say it's been four years, but I don't know if that's true. Well, he's listed as a junior. But that feels like a COVID that junior? That the COVID year. Okay, so he's so he is a fourth-year junior. Um Yes, and Dave, yeah. Damian Alford is slowly approaching uh, Trevor Cooney's status of yes. uh, guy who is here a lot longer than you thought he was going to be here for. Mm -hmm. uh, congratulations. Um, and also, Andy, the other terrifying third option that you failed to mention is what happened at the end of last year, which is guys don't do double Aronde Gatson because the quarterback can't make a throw to Aronde Gatson. And also can't make a throw to anyone else on the field because the either the offensive line has been blown up or that said quarterback is injured to a whole hell. All which could very realistically happen this year, especially my biggest concern has come real. This offensive line is not what we thought. Steve. Yeah. <laughs> take it away. I was going to say, is this, is this, wait, pray, yeah. is this going to be Steve's all time rant? Like, is this going to be like an all timer here? Do I need to get the, uh, do we need to get the, like the, the screen recordings out for this or has Steve come to terms with this line sitting with it since this morning? Porque no los dos. Hey. hey. Um, and also, I don't Steve. know if you, I don't know if you knew this, Andy, we, we are live and, on video so you don't have to screen <laughs> <it right. laughs> 
Uh, okay, you know, it's Monday. It's been a day. I'm normally playing trivia right now, which is somehow <laughs> worse. Fun. Um, this is Steve's first time, long time uh, moment here. <laughs> God. Yeah, so this, we've had time to sit with this one. I think everybody saw Emily post this exact offensive line as what she was seeing in camp. Uh, Emily Liker from Syracuse.com. Go check out her stuff. Uh, it's uh, it's well worth well worth taking a look at. Um, the it is what it is. Um, today I would heard some rumblings that Ellis might be carrying a knock, which might be why he's on the line too. Uh, and, which yeah. which would Mike can explain confirm a lot of the shuffle. Yeah, he's got a good old owie, according mm-hmm. to Dino. So, you know, yep. there's a, a pretty wide variety of what that could actually be. Yeah, yeah. And with him, it could be big or small because, well, there's a lot of him. Um, yeah, they – so, yeah, I would assume the starting, like, if if all were healthy, healthy – Starting line would be Cruz, Ellis, Reed, Bleich, Wolaba. Um, since that's not the case, we're currently, uh, for those of you not able to see the depth chart that's in front of us all on the video, uh, at Enrique Cruz, backed up by Joe Cruz at left tackle, Chris Bleich, backed up by Kalen Ellis at left guard, Jayonre Reed over Josh Aloa at center. Um, apparently, the Juco came in and had a camp which we had kind of been hearing rumblings about as well. Right guard was Joe Moore over Jacob Bradford. Right tackle is David Wollabaugh Jr. over Mark Petrie. So we get the legacy SEC kid. We get the Richmond transfer. We get the Juco transfer. We get the guy who is pretty much bionic at this point. And we get the promising left tackle. So um, here's to whatever we'll see against Colgate. I don't know. Um, one I, of the one of the concerning things here also is that even though Ellis is carrying an alley, we also know Pena is carrying an alley, and the fact that Ellis is still listed on the two deep means that Syracuse doesn't would lead you to assume that Syracuse doesn't trust anyone else at left guard. Well, similarly, Stefan Thompson is still listed as a uh, on the linebacking depth chart. We know he's just returning from injury, so it could be that Ellis is working his way back or which close. Then, yeah, which then leads you to believe that Pena's injury might be either recent and they don't know how to evaluate it, or it's worse than that, um, which would be a big blow for special teams pending that um, Brown is expected to be the backup return man, um, but TBD on that front since... Uh, looking at the screen, kick returner and punt returner are not listed uh, in the depth chart. Well, uh, I mean, we're in real. Roll down on the chart real quick Perfect. here. Yep. So yeah. that Andy can see what we've got here. So yeah, Demarcus Adams or Donovan Brown, both of those <laughs> make make sense. Go find the fast kids, make them run the ball back. Go figure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm. I, I think my biggest question, and Steve, like this is something that we've been we've talked about a little bit um more moving inside seems weird um if only because the matthew bergeron effect of if you're really good we put you at tackle he came in as a tackle and he's moving inside which would line up with your observations from the spring game where more was you know, maybe not necessarily equipped to handle the speed uh, coming off the edge. But we've seen this movie before where we have guys that move inside outside pretty consistently. And sometimes it works more often than not. It's out of necessity. Um, But I, I guess the, I guess the question is, is the ideal version of this line with more on the two line and, Ellis and Bleich as your two guards is or like or is that what you're feeling that's that's what my brain says just after watching the film I did on more thanks Mike uh during the spring or was that early (laughs) that was spring right that wasn't early uh camp yeah that that was spring I have not been in here in August the uh you know time is a flat circle around here so um 
yeah, uh, it looked like Moore was having trouble with that outside edge uh, with the step up from FCS. He was, I mean, he played four years at Richmond, but uh, when you play against, you know, ACC level, even in practice, uh, probably probably is a little different look for you. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he's if he's comfortable enough inside, the other thing we're looking at this year is Steve Farmer is a much different look when it comes to scheme than uh, our good friend Mike Schmidt was for years. Um, I don't think they're looking for road graders anymore. I think they're going to look for a little more balanced option, um, which moving Joe, Joe Moore inside may, uh, maybe because of pass coverage or uh, pass protection. Um, so we'll, we'll see where it ends up going, but, um, uh, this, this brought up as many questions as answers. Cause I think when, when, um, when this was initially dropped by Syracuse.com that, we were all under the impression that, okay, that's what it is at this point in camp. Maybe it'll flesh out by Colgate. And when it's the same thing two weeks later, here we are. And it weirdly is more of the same because like the last three years, the only position I think Syracuse fans have a feeling of calm and sense and connectivity in terms of like this position is going to be strong on the offensive line is at left tackle. And Enrique Cruz looks to take over for Matthew Bergeron, who appears to have secured a starting spot with the Atlanta Falcons coming week one. And Cruz was a highly touted recruit, four-star by some services coming out of high school, and now in his redshirt sophomore year appears to have taken right over. And it feels like, we could be headed in another Bergeron situation with Cruz with yes, maybe there's fires around him, but here's going to be the solid option that, you know, really isn't going to fail you. Yeah. And it seems, you know, he looked solid last year when he uh, showed up in spot minutes. Um, and he's, the, he's got a big frame, a big body and he moves well. And that's what you need to be as a tackle. Um, he looked good anytime I've seen him as far as, you know, outside pass rush, he can hold up to a bull rush. Um, yeah, I, I think, I think we've got another decent left tackle on our hands, especially a decent young left tackle on our hands. And the, the only thing I want to kind of like put a bow on offense before we move on over to defense is something else that Dino said in his press conference today. And that's uh, Jason Beck is calling plays from the booth this year. I mean, he's been on the ground with a nay on the sidelines for pretty much his entire coaching career. And that's still a unique idea to for at least um, someone like Beck, who I feel like just from what I've seen from him in, in during practices, um, he's a guy who's who likes to be very, very vocal with his with his players and be very hands on with them in terms of giving them very you know, immediate advice. So this should be an interesting change to uh, go from the sidelines to the booth. I think one thing that shows too is a trust in some of these guys, especially Schrader, Gadsden, these uh, Alfred, like the guys that have been with him for a long time. I I would assume he has a little less hesitation and a little more comfort in them being able to relay what he's getting to them versus him having to drill it in in person. So, you would hope so. <laughs> yeah, I mean that it's going to have to be at this point, but um, but yeah, I mean there's there's always guys up in the booth, and if your OC wants to see it, then yeah, makes sense to have them up there. Hopefully, we won't get those like weird Notre Dame phone booth calls that we saw last year. As long as we don't end up with Hugh Freeze in the booth, we should be good. I mean, no one's rolling a hospital bed into the JMI wireless stone anytime soon. At least I hope not. I'm knocking on wood right now. <laughs> let's, let's pray that doesn't happen, please. <laughs> well, before we get to the defense, let's throw it over to our halftime segments. Um, and I want to start off with Steve, because obviously here on fans for sports network we'd like to thank our corporate overlords for allowing us to have a spot here to 
be whimsical on the on the internet and our friends at fans for sports network have a very interesting opportunity for all of you coming up yeah mike pay attention to this one uh <laughs> since since you're not employed by fans for sports net you're eligible uh basically if uh, if anybody's interested and likes this thing called the nfl um <laughs> new, newfangled concept i don't know it's a it's a league that plays football professionally um, fans for a sports net is looking to give a lucky winner, a chance to win four tickets to any week, one game in the NFL of your choice up to five grand. So, uh, you've, you've got a, a shot at a real, you know, uh, a real chance to, to win four tickets to any NFL game that's being played in order to enter for one, you have to not be employed by fans for sports net. And for two, uh, Go to contest.fansfirstsports.com and uh, fill out all the information they've got on there. It's like name, uh, email, etc. cetera. Uh, and that's literally it. That's the whole thing. Just go to contest.fansfirstsports.com and fill it out. Uh, contest ends on September 4th, and then they will pick uh, pick the winners and let you know. So, yeah. Good things. Free tickets are free. Free tickets are t- free tickets are free, and you should definitely sign up and do that. Um, uh, our other corporate overlord is the one that makes us wear really nice, comfy clothes. Oh my gosh, it's so hard to be a fan of them. Home field apparel. We are uh, big fans of home field here at Syracuse, uh, at the Syracuse side of the interwebs. Uh, if this is your first time ordering from Home Field Apparel and you want some of the vintage T-shirts, hoodies. Uh, joggers, whatever it is that they have that tickles your fancy. Use promo code NUNES23, N-U-N-E-S-2-3 for 15% off your first order at Home Field Apparel. Christian, let's talk defense. That is indeed talk defense, and we'll start with this defensive line of the good old 3-3-5. You know Caleb Okachuku was going to start. And then it's like what? With the other two, not so much Dennis Hawkins. I think he deserved that, and he looked good in his spurts last year. Very highly touted when he was flipped when he flipped on uh, signing day from Northwestern to join Syracuse. And before he was taken off the field in the Nearcast last year, he looked pretty good. And so when he was vertical, he was fine. Yes. <laughs> the interesting thing is at the defensive tackle, and I made my opinions on this very clear la- uh, in the past couple of podcasts. Nothing against Kevin Darton. He did great last year and what he would try to do. Um, yeah, he couldn't really do much against the more physical friends of the ACC that just basically overmatched Syracuse as a whole. But he was serviceable enough. However, he is the starting defensive tackle. Elijah Fuentes Cundiff is the backup, which he was last year. And there's no sign on this too deep of Terry Lockett or Braylon Ingraham, the Alabama transfer. Lockett, the starter last year, still coming back from injury, so maybe he still needs a bit more time to heal. But we see guys on this death chart who have injuries and are on this list. We'll talk about one coming up next. But does Nazi Lockett and a Nazi Ingraham, to me, is very, very concerning. We were told Terry's going to play. Not how much, but, you know, he, he's going to suit up. That's all we were told. But when was the last time we really saw a quote-unquote third stringer get significant playing time just in general? The silence that is deafening should tell you the answer that you need to know. I mean, the answer is the answer is 2020, but that season gets thrown out the window. Indeed, um, it does. Yeah, well... Andy, the third stringer is started in 2020. <laughs> yeah, again, like, that, that year is the year that we don't that, speak of. That is how I was officially introduced to Syracuse football, by the way. See, we have two, so two of your newest members here have been introduced to Syracuse football in absolutely shell-shocked manners. I was going to say, that's why it fits in so well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, again, like I, I think another like we talked about um, 
geez, we, we, we talked about what the deal is with Stefan Thompson, who suffered a season ending injury against Purdue and is just working his way back. Um, you know, Lockett got hurt in the UVA game, uh, in 2020 uh, in 2022 and that's later in the year uh i by think i'm trying to remember week. the schedule now by one um, week oh no two yeah weeks. yeah so again maybe if you're really reading into this like maybe lockett's injury was worse and it's taking him longer to get back but like the suiting up comment does make me wonder what's going on here uh it does it does feel odd but i'm also wondering if again maybe dino is actually taking things to heart here it's colgate there is no need to rush anybody back who is not a 105% ready to be back um because we don't need to have a key player go down before you know i think purdue is probably the game where if lockett's not on the two deep if pena's not on the two deep uh, if Thompson's not starting, I'm going to start raising the red flags of concern. The unfortunate thing, Andy, as you know, is that we're not going to get that answer until after the Purdue game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this. <laughs> the, I mean, let's be honest here. This depth chart is already more insight into things than we've gotten in most preseason depth charts. There's only a few ores on here instead of the entire depth chart being an ore. That is very true. There were literally only two, and that is a significant upgrade then from years past. One of the other concerning things about this defensive line is that Kevin Jobity Jr. is listed as both backups in the defensive end room. And we know how much Tony White liked to rotate uh, his, front, his front six, quote-unquote, in terms of rotating that defensive line all the time last year. You would expect Rocky Long to do the same, or maybe even more so, just due to the fact that this is his system. So the fact that Jobity is the only one there, and there's no Chase Simmons, there's no Francois Nolan, is concerning. There's there's not even Ingraham, who we saw in the spring, practicing on the edge as well. Yeah. Was was anything, Mike? Was anything answered at all about Ingram this conference? Uh, nope, it, he was not brought up. Weird. It's a very big body to not get brought up. Um, I mean, maybe Jobody, which is crazy because the kids played football for two years now. Is it? Yep, he was a true freshman last year. No, I mean, period. He played. Oh yes, year yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Freshman yeah. year, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, maybe he impressed enough that he is the first man at either spot, but you would think from a two deep standpoint, either they didn't want to put like 17 oars as to who the next guy is, or I, I just have no idea. Like if you're Francois Nolton, what are you, what are you thinking? If you're Chase Simmons, what are you thinking? Like, unless they're all injured, unless the entire defensive end core is injured, like, what are you doing? which is a discussion for another time. Right. Because but that's let's also the not, issue. Let's not go to DEFCON 3 just yet. <laughs> oh, you, you don't start at DEFCON 3? Yeah, well, you, I was going to say, you're under, you're under a very strong assumption that we're not already at DEFCON 3. You, you sweet summer child. It's fine. <laughs> DEFCON 3 is like baseline. <laughs> Steve, I grew up in Penn State territory. I'm not used to this. <laughs> Oh God, yeah, yeah. I grew up. You're a big Ten overlords. You're a, you're the a big ten time. overlords. I'm not here to save you now. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah, places I've lived have included. Uh, for any place I've lived for more than a year was up north in the middle of nowhere, where Syracuse was a professional sports team, and then Boston, where nobody gives a flying shit about college sports, and then here. So yeah. There was an Alaska trip in there too that, uh, yeah, that they don't really have a, an allegiance. So I'm you don't to, say. I'm used to a dearth of any sort of optimism around college athletics. The, the the weird thing about this is that 
I I feel like the there's still with all this upheaval, there's still I don't want to call it optimism, but like you look at this defensive side of the depth chart and in the corners and in the linebackers, I think we can kind of loop these two groups together. It's really top heavy, but like top heavy in the level in the top heavy level where if Marlo wax and Elijah Clark are what the reports out of camp say they are somehow we will have lost transfers and professionals transfers to, you know, power two schools and professionals to the NFL and somehow be okay. Um, it seemed, it seems like obviously with a lot of things, if guys get hurt, it's not going to, it's not going to be a good time, but I like, I like the idea of Thompson wax. And then my se- my secret thing is I think that Caden Bailey is going to force Dino into a really difficult situation with, with Derek McDonald. Like Derek McDonald's a very good player. I think Caden Bailey has a much higher ceiling and it's about whether or not he can get to that level of consistency that McDonald gives you play in and play out. My interesting thing is that I'm surprised that neither Thompson or Spiro are listed behind McDonald. Because remember when Thompson went down, it was McDonald who replaced him. Yep. So the fact that Thompson isn't where McDonald is is a little is very interesting. Um that that to me if and, and no disrespect to Caden Bailey either. I think, you know, from what we saw last year during the pinstripe bowl, he definitely has a ceiling that is that should excite Syracuse fans. But the fact that Thompson is behind Lowry is a little interesting. And you would expect that if McDonald is going to get usurped from his starting position, it would be by Thompson and maybe even Sparrow before Caden Bailey gets that shot. Well, one would think. It's also interesting to see Sparrow at the middle linebacker spot because as we've talked about, middle linebacker, especially in the 3-3-5, is a very specialized position. You need to have a... a, Syracuse just throw anyone there in that middle linebacker spot. So the fact that Sparrow is already there maybe seems like you know they're grooming him to be the wax replacement should wax decide to jump ship this year for the probes not a bad idea um and sparrow's a guy who um you know just size wise looking at this you know he and austin rune are roughly the same size rune's got a couple extra inches on him but they're both like that that you know syracuse tweener middle linebacker just a really athletic type of body. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of here for it. I like that idea, Christian. That's that would, that would make a ton of sense. <laughs> yeah. Because it, I think when we were coming into camp, one of the questions was who was going to take that starting linebacker spot between Lowry and Sparrow, because both of them looked good in their, you know, spot appearances in last year. And that Lowry, you know, deserves the starting spot he's got now. Um, but it seems like Sparrow is, you know, another one of those marinate, wait and see guys, because it feels like, you know, and Marlo could have one of those years. Yeah. Uh, don't disagree there. I'm just taking a look at Syracuse's football commits for the upcoming season to see if there's any of the, uh, if any of the big names are, are linebackers. And the answer is no, um, (laughs) a couple of, Couple of three. Uh, oh, actually, the Jersey guys. Uh, I gotta. I have to get Sean Farrell in on this. Um, talking about the Jaden Brown of Don Boscow, uh, Zakai Wimbley of West Orange. Those are both linebackers oh, that right. we have. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then there's an athlete from Camden who's not going to be a linebacker. So yeah, it's there's a little bit. It looks like they're kind of banking on the group that they have or transfer portal, which fine by me. <laughs> and, and look at all of the, uh, the year, the years on yeah. that. And that linebacker, it's all red shirt, sophomores, 
a true sophomore kid in Bailey, and then Wax, who is another one of those fourth-year juniors like Alfred is. So yeah. that, it's, it's a group that is going to marinate for a long time. I, I like it. Uh, do we want to try to decipher the core, the secondary of dudes that we've never really, that, that are all new to campus slash young to campus? Try is indeed a word. Uh, the, for those that are listening and not watching, the two cornerback, the two starting quarterbacks are Isaiah Johnson uh, and Jeremiah Wilson. The safeties are Elijah Clark and Jason Simmons. And the rover is Justin Barron with Elijah Clark as the backup rover. Now, I, with my fascination with the rover position, personally think that Elijah Clark there would make a ton of sense because he is, in my mind, Cisco 2.0. Like, I really like his game. People are talking about him coming out of camp in the very Cisco-y way that people talked about Andre Cisco. Uh, I think that that's big. But obviously, they like Barron's size in that rover position more than Clark, who is only 6'1", 186 on this, which means that he's probably six foot 180 if we're going by the way that college uh <laughs> college yeah yeah um i think the biggest the biggest thing for me is jeremiah wilson um me too that is uh it is dino and and the defensive side deciding to go young again and i honestly can't say that it is the wrong decision with how things have gone in the past um Typically, if you're young and you're a corner, you're going to be good. Um, Wilson last year played in all 13 games as a true freshman, which I think says something. But those were predominantly special teams and breaking glass in case of emergency nickelback situations. There was also break glass when Chestnut needed a breather slash went down. Break glass in in case of Chestnut? Yeah. And and I spoke out a little bit about this with Mike in the pre-show. I wasn't particularly sold on Wilson during last year in the um in his limited showings. And yes, I get he was a true freshman, but like I wasn't particularly, particularly sold on his play. And and apparently he looked good in the spring. Um they obviously liked him in the fall because he's he's got that starting spot. But given a lot of hype around Jaden Bellamy and Jaden Gould, I'm surprised one of them didn't at least usurp him. And I get that both are also redshirt freshmen, so eligibility-wise, same year as Wilson. And so maybe that extra year in the system has something to do with it as well. But I'm, I'm still surprised that not one of those transfers pushed Wilson out of that starting role. Yeah, I the secondary like I I thought this was like a really interesting thing that somebody kind of mentioned. Uh, I believe it was Matt Packer on Brent Axe's podcast, where with how good the quarterbacks in the ACC are, you can't really afford to go with a non-coverage secondary. Um, you have to have guys that can just physically match up and and play coverage more so than guys who can support the run or hit big or or do or just have like burner speed. Um, and yeah, I'm I don't love Isaiah Johnson there, um, but there are so many bodies in the secondary that we could see at some point in time during the season. Like for me, I think about last year's team and when the season started, we were obviously really focused in on um, Deuce Chestnut and we were focused in on Garrett Williams. Um, But there were other guys who really stepped up and kind of redefined the way that we looked at the secondary. And I'm wondering if that's going to happen again. Um, Like just for just for like an example of who I'm talking about here is like Jihad Carter, a player that I think we all saw a lot of potential in did not look great during the early games. 
Uh, but then in that Clemson game, found his footing and never took his foot off the gas. Um, I'm I'm wondering if we're going to get some of that on this year's team with the number of dudes that are just waiting in the wings uh, in the secondary. I do also think this is the, the one part of the defense that we're going to see a lot of rotation in early on when you've got the first two games of the year that should be put away very early. You know, they, it will, it will give Rocky long a chance to experiment a little bit and see if potentially one of the Jadens could end up moving up into a higher role fast without having to move there out of injury necessity. Uh, like you said, they were both very highly rated coming in. I did not get to see a ton of them in the spring compared to other guys. And they are technically still not media available until after they play a game. So I'll try to check in in week two on them. Yeah. And and you're not even mentioning the two Nebraska transfers that, that aren't even listed on the step chart in Jaleel Martin and Miles Farmer. Um, and then we have, um, you know, Braylon Oliver, another guy that's not listed on this depth chart that's coming in with, with some expectations. Um, there's just a lot of guys who aren't on the two deep who I could see rising up, getting on the two deep and taking a starting role just as the season goes along. And as we get more reps in practice and as certain guys who, you know, Jeremiah Wilson is young and he's raw and they obviously think highly of him. But, um, you know, on that other side, if Isaiah Johnson doesn't work out as a redshirt senior, like you've got younger guys behind him to to throw in there and see what you got. I do think Johnson is is actually the real deal. I liked what I saw. I liked what we saw out of him um, when he had to replace Garrett uh, Williams due to injury. Um but it's just the the only thing when I've mentioned this, I'm going to keep mentioning it until I stop seeing it. Is that Syracuse has to press and stop playing zone. That uh, <laughs> that's at least a space on the bingo card. You're you're telling me <laughs> zone defense doesn't work against great passing teams. And, and now this is the part where this podcast gets mistaken for basketball. I was going to say, we are now officially uh, into our anti-zone talk, uh, which again, one team is ditching a zone this year and it's not. And well, we don't know if it's the football team, uh, but we know it's the basketball team. So this might just be the year that the death of the zone on campus, print that on a t-shirt. Mike, I, I, you might know people on Ottawa's army, get them to print a death of the zone shirt and it out to the student section. (laughs) Uh, I don't think I have that much reach. <laughs> but we we both uh, we both we both Mike we both know a guy who's uh, pretty high up in the marching band. Maybe he can get them to you know wear a shirt like that. Uh, I, I know he. I, I know he's not there now, but he's still. I mean, he was drum major for two years. Yeah. Like it's still he still has some say. All right. Yeah, it's worth a shot. <laughs> Uh, I think we're, we're, we're bending the student section to our will. Uh, I guess the, I guess the last like I, question that we... so, sorry to uh, interrupt, Andy. I just realized that should be our uh, entry for the Clemson game. The designer shirt. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed, indeed. The Otto's Army tweeted out that they are uh, holding a competition for designing the student section shirt for that Clemson game. And uh, let, let, let's commission an artist on fiber. <laughs> Love it. Uh, I was going to say, I think with the, uh, uh, you know, kind of here, we talked about offense. We talked about defense. Um, special teams kind of shook out the way that we expected it to with Stonehouse at punter uh, with Pena out. Doesn't really mean that, you know, uh, Adams or Brown are going to be fully taking that job away. I guess the big thing is place kicking. No, the big thing is long snapping. That's oh. it is. Yeah, big Tom Callahan. 
Big Tom Callahan beat out Mike Midkiff, who's the incumbent uh, post in the post Polinsky era. So we have a, a new to the program long snapper, and one that Steve can be amazing. Of course, of course, Steve wants to focus in on the on the long snappers. This isn't, you know, we we have to get one more offensive line talk in. Hey, as the former long snapper, I reserve the right to actually get long <laughs> snapper time once in a while. <laughs> I did not know that you were the long snapper. This 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 all comes oh, yeah. now. I was I was the long snapper all my my whole time at Union. And so be sure to look out on our sister site, newsmagician.com on Thursdays, where Steve will now have his long snapping breakdown <laughs> tapes on to, you know, to review. Special teams review just turns into long snap breakdowns. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are, there are literally all five views of that article are going to be the most engaged readers that we could potentially ever, ever have on the site. Dude, I specialize in offensive line and soccer. How many clicks do you think I get on this site? I mean, I've seen the offensive line comment sections. (laughs) Right now, the soccer ones are probably getting more views. Fair enough. Shout out, men's soccer up one nothing. (laughs) I was about to check that score. Yes, one nothing. Uh, I have ESPN up on another tab. Um, The uh, so I guess the I guess the one thing to end it on is we are. We've gotten the depth chart. We spent a lot of Saturday talking about how we knew that this is pending injury. And there are a lot of injury questions still to be answered here in regards to a lot of big names. Uh, This is probably the starting five. We're going to be roll or the starting lineup. I should say starting 11 on both sides of the ball plus special teams that we will see for at least the first five games of the season or so. I'll caveat it with like, this is going to be our non-conference starting lineup um, with the exception of Thompson playing his way into a starting role and Pena coming back as a starter whenever he comes back. Um, but there's no guarantee that that happens during before you know, before the Clemson game. So going after getting a look at this depth chart, um, I guess we can go around the horn and Mike, we can start with you. What is either the one thing that you're, going to be watching during non-conference in terms of position battles or in terms of guys who you didn't expect to see on the one or two line um, or, or what has you like most excited slash like, Oh, I'm really glad that things broke out this way uh, on the two deep. Now I feel like we've had this conversation before, maybe not you and me specifically, but uh Jamie Alford back at the top of the depth chart when in the spring he seemed to be rapidly falling down the pecking order where he, he had briefly transferred, he briefly entered the transfer portal, came back, and now he's gone from just fighting for a spot to being back as a one and getting a captaincy, actually. That just got announced today. He is the other offensive captain. So mentioned it a bit earlier i really really hope that my predictions on him were just a year late and that he does break out into that deep threat we have been desperately searching for since i got here uh you know and then on the defensive side it's really just how long is it going to be for stefan thompson to get back to playing as a starter and possibly uh Lockett as well. Is he possibly hurt? Still not 100%. Is there maybe something more with those two that more so, not Thompson, more so with uh, Lockett, excuse me, that they were just be out by other guys who impressed in the fall. So I do think as long as they are dressing, we'll see a bit of them in these first couple of games. Hopefully, That'll ease them back in, and maybe even. I know. I know you said uh, Rocky Long doesn't really like to, or excuse me, that Dino doesn't really like to mix up the starters with the twos and threes. But that may end actually end up happening with some of these guys, which would not be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, for me, um, I've uh, Steve and Andy are probably tired of me saying this, but I'm on the Isaiah Jones hype train. 
I really, really liked what I saw from him last year. And I think, me personally, more so than Alfred, I think that Jones could be that safety gap and safety valve for Schrader when Gadsden is hopefully inevitably covered and receiving attention. I feel like Jones is that guy who will get overlooked by defenses and thus will be a great target for Schrader to basically throw downfield and take long shots with. Um, and he, I feel like he's got the skill set necessary to make uh, corners on one-in-one-on-one -on -one coverage make their lives very difficult. And then on the defensive side, I'm really excited to see what I see from Dennis Hawkins Jr. And we always talked about um, what we thought, what we know that the defensive line isn't supposed to develop a ton of pressure, but more so divert attention so that the linebackers can cause havoc and cause the pressure in the 3-3-5. But Hawkins could be a guy that breaks that trend and, and be a guy who not only diverts attention, but also make, but also makes pressure happen and i don't we haven't had a defensive lineman cause that type of pressure in the 335 since cody roscoe and so i think hawk has, has the potential to be that guy yeah yeah and he's a guy we haven't seen so it's nice to Nice to be able to prognosticate on it too. You know, came in highly touted, showed up last year, and now has his chance to shine after coming back off injury. Indeed. Yeah, I, I think that for me, just to kind of round it out, um, man, this wide receiver group is just deep and they're big. And we've been saying this for years. But ever since I think Amba at Atawa, like we've had some good receivers come through, but nobody has put up like that monster of a season under Dino where, you know, records were falling. And that was always kind of the expectation. Aronde Gatston is obviously the guy that that could happen to, but that wasn't going to happen if there wasn't a solid cast of receivers. And if you remember the 2018 team, Eric Dungey definitively earned all the platitudes and honors that came with quarterbacking that team. But he had a phenomenal group of receivers that complemented each other really well and made it really difficult for defenses to just pin their ears back and rush at him. And I feel like Garrett Schrader's time at Syracuse has been very much on the receiving end of an all out blitz 75% of the time. And while yes, that is ultimately on the offensive line to you know, call out the protections and get him the time he needs. You're not able to do that. If you can put four guys on the field who can catch the ball and win battles in space. And I I'm with you, Christian, like Isaiah Jones is somebody that I think could have a really big year, a nice little breakout year. Damian Alford is a guy we know can stretch the field vertically. Aronde Gatson is going to get all of the attention and can do it at every level. And then when you add in Pena and Donovan Brown in the slot, this is this is a team that can run routes on three levels with anybody there and potentially win battles against the best secondaries in the ACC. And I feel like if you're Garrett Schrader, like this is what you've been asking for. This is what you've been looking for. And this is the chance to finally get through a season healthy, if only because if you want to take a three-step drop and dump it off, you will have options and you will be able to just put the ball up in space and let one of these big bodies go and get the ball. Like, I, I really think that this year, from an offensive standpoint, we could potentially see the best offense since that 2018 team, even without Sean Tucker. Hopefully the offensive line holds. It always comes back to the offensive line. <laughs> you guys are finally seeing it my way. <laughs> Steve's like three years in, and I have finally worn them down. <laughs> so Steve's, the magneto. Line. Steve's magneto is the offensive line not that humans are evil and he has finally <laughs> he's finally gotten us x-men to come to his side 
Oh, too perfect. Oh, man. I feel like that's a good way to end the show. That is too perfect. Too perfect as this is sitting next to me. Oh, God. <laughs> Listen, I will not read an X Men comic. I will just have Steve tell me what's happening. <laughs> there you go. Somebody's got to do it. Obviously. So uh, that is it for this depth chart emergency edition of the uh, Disloyal Idiots podcast, a fan's first sports nation podcast. Uh, again, shout out to our sponsors at Homefield. Shout out to our new friends at Fans First Sports Nation who would like us to remind you, enter that ticket giveaway contest. Go and do it. Go and do it. Um, make sure that if you're listening to this on the podcast provider of your choice, like and subscribe. Help us trick the AI into expanding the Ottoman Empire. If you're watching us on Twitch, thank you very much. We appreciate the support uh, of watching the live stream. We appreciate the you get to enjoy in our facial reactions to all things. Thanks to Mike for joining us. Uh, on this football edition of the podcast. Won't be the last time you see him this football season. And as always, go Orange. Go Orange. Go Orange. <laughs>